Mr. President, welcome to Florida. We appreciate uh, working together across various levels of government. Wow, that Ron DeSantis sure is a nice guy, isn't he? When he needs billions of dollars from the federal government. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Hey, yep. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast that's heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN. Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day for your listening convenience on the Internet, on the Progressive Voices Channel. Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing, Planet Earth 5, Days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us. Although I should note that while I say five days a week, actually, uh, Nicole Sandler will be in for us on the upcoming broadcast since we're getting a whole bunch of vaccination shots. <laughs> yes. And well, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, you know, the uh, previous ones, you had no problem with them by and large, that right? With the correct. boosters and so forth. Yes. Whereas they have laid me out on all, for me, three occasions so far. I'm hearing from people that the uh, the, the new booster. The new bivalent. B- correct. From uh, at least the one from Pfizer, uh, the people who have had problems with before. The problems meaning, you know, they felt ill the next uh, 24 hours or so. Uh, are not having problems with the new shots. Which is awesome. We will see if that remains true for, <laughs> for me. And just to make things worse, I'm going to top it off with a flu vaccine on the very same day. What could possibly go wrong? I'm sure it will be fine. Well, that is what all of the epidemiologists and doctors and everybody in the healthcare industry say. You really should get both of them. They, those people in the healthcare industry, they don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> Obviously, they have misled us on everything so far, and the vaccines are uh, just uh, killers. That's what they tell us. <laughs> well, I will say that um, yeah. it is important to remember that uh, COVID is still the third leading cause of death in the United States. So, you know, it's a good idea to protect yourself and your family and your community if you're into that sort of thing. 
Well, thanks for that public service announcement. You're welcome. Do you know what the first two uh, uh, causes of death are? Um, I think heart disease, and I can't remember the other one. I, I don't know what it is. I thought you <laughs> might. Cancer, probably, I'm going to guess. Anyway, welcome to the broadcast. It's already fun because we're talking about <laughs> cancer in the first... <laughs> 10 seconds. Anyway, oh, also, this will be fun. Big news from that stoner Joe Biden a little bit later today. But first, a little bit of business. Uh, clear your schedules for this coming Thursday, October 13. The bipartisan House committee investigating the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol and Donald Trump's many failed attempts to steal the 2020 election. Uh, they have announced that they will be holding their next hearing. They aren't calling it their last, but their next hearing on October 13. The panel had postponed a public hearing that it had scheduled a week or so ago, sending people with radio shows scrambling to cover <laughs> in its wake after they had made great plan anyway. Yeah, that was, uh, of course, canceled because of Hurricane Ian's devastating landfall on Florida's Gulf Coast. The hearing next Thursday is set to begin at 1 p.m. Eastern time. And so, yes, once again, we will crank up things for the uh, broadcast special coverage thereafter, as usual. Committee Chair Benny Thompson, Democrat from Mississippi, said that the hearing's format would diverge from the one used during uh, their uh, series of hearings over the summer so that each of the nine lawmakers in this case will have a chance to speak. But it will be held with less than a month before the midterm elections on November 8. What will that mean for those elections? We don't know. The panel will produce a written report on all of their findings over the past 14 months by the, I think, uh, by year's end. But according to NBC News, with the Justice Department now ramping up its criminal investigation into the January 6th insurrection, the committee's relevance has begun to fade, according to one committee member who told that to NBC. Whether that's accurate or not, I'm not entirely sure. I guess we'll find out next Thursday. It's unclear what the hearing specifically We'll focus on, however, there have been several developments since the committee's last hearing in July. Yeah, just a few. And it's been, uh, I mean, it seems both a long time ago since they had their last hearings and it feels like uh, five minutes. So <laughs> I, I've lost all track of time in uh, this uh, Trump era. In any event, the panel has recently interviewed Ginny Thomas the far-right activist uh, and wife of far-right activist and Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. The rescheduled session could also feature video of testimony from other members of the disgraced former president's administration, including Transportation Secretary Elaine Chao, who is the wife of GOP Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, who, uh, and I believe she, if I recall, she resigned from Trump's administration uh, in light of the insurrection uh, and uh, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, who didn't resign and who is a GOP presidential hopeful. So he's still happy to try and curry favor with Donald Trump. Uh, both of uh, those folks, Chow and Pompeo, have spoken to the committee since the last time they held hearings, but they have not yet appeared 
in any of the hearings. Among the uh, interviewees prominently featured, just to reset the table in the previous uh, hearings back in June and July, you recall White House Counsel Pat Cipollone and Cassidy Hutchinson. Remember her? Oh, yes. She was uh, the senior aide to then White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows. She gave bombshell testimony at the time detailing outbursts that Donald Trump made on uh, January 6th, including an attack on his uh, his own Secret Service driver who reportedly refused to take him to the Capitol building following his insurrection rally speech on the Ellipse near the White House and and other such tirades by the then President of the United States. The most recent hearing in July focused on what happened inside the White House during the more than three hours of inaction by the President between his rally speech and his eventual tweet encouraging rioters to head home. I, it's it's you know, there has been so much focus on the thousands of documents that Donald Trump stole from the White House upon leaving office recently retrieved down in Mar-a-Lago by the FBI that uh, I mean, uh, one of the reasons I wanted to share where we were last time is because so much has happened since then. I kind of have forgotten uh, <laughs> the January 6th investigation. Yes. And of course, speaking of the upcoming critical November 8 midterm elections. I suspect we will be doing more and more of that in the days ahead. Speaking of those elections, as we're now just over one month from Election Day, a a bunch of related thoughts on that today. Joe Biden was in Florida on Wednesday overseeing the aftermath of Hurricane Ian's destruction and playing nice with angry Republican Florida governor and presidential hopeful himself, Ron DeSantis. I suppose I should say DeSantis was playing nice with Biden. Yes. Because, you know, we would expect Biden to play nice with DeSantis because he's a nice guy. And that's what he does. He's a grown up, you know. But, Desi, you'll have more on uh, the president's visit to Florida in our Green News report coming up a little bit later. But there are also some critical elections in Florida coming up on November 8th. And somehow amid the destruction uh, across much of the state, somehow they will hopefully be able to vote uh, on November 8th, hopefully before. Uh, I know there is uh, a push by election officials down there to get folks voting by mail, but of course a lot of People don't, you know, their homes have been blown away. They don't have a mailbox to receive absentee ballots anymore. But with these elections in November, they're really important, even in Florida, perhaps especially in Florida, for both governor and U.S. senator, with Ron DeSantis running for re-election as governor against Florida's former governor, Charlie Crist, who is was then a Republican, now he's a Democrat, and Republican Senator Marco Rubio is running for re-election against Democratic Congresswoman Val Demings, who, if successful, would become the state's first female governor. It might be a good year to become that, and also it's first... Oh, you mean your first female senator? What did I say? Governor. Uh, Senator, thank you very much. And also, uh, I believe it's first uh, black senator as well. Um, So uh, both Democrats are seen as underdogs in their respective races. 
against the Republicans in the Sunshine State, according to pre-election polling, though both are still within striking distance as of today. Rubio leads Val Demings in the polls by an average of about four and a half points, according to 538's polling average, and about four points in Real Clear Politics polling average. So uh, that is certainly within striking distance, about four, four and a half points. Uh, DeSantis currently leads Charlie Crist by a wider margin, about six and a half points, according to 538's average, and seven points, according to Real Clear Politics average. Uh, Real Clear Politics tends to include more bad partisan polling in its averages. But again, both are within striking distance, particularly Demings, for the U.S. Senate, with uh, with which m- with much likely depending on several factors. One, how the Republican incumbents DeSantis and Rubio are seen in their response to the Hurricane Ian disaster and how well the cleanup and the, you know, the state response goes. Frustrated homeowners left without power, water, help in rebuilding, especially in Florida, where so few have appropriate insurance. Given how Republicans like DeSantis and Rubio have been lying to Sunshine State residents for so long about the very real threats of climate change there and uh, in a state where the insurance industry was already collapsing even before Ian struck. As we discussed on this show recently with Thomas Frank of e News and, of course, uh, the other point, how well election officials are even able to pull together elections in just four weeks from now, despite, you know, polling places wiped out along with the homes and the mailboxes and the IDs and the voter IDs blown away, where, you know, where uh, voters are going to have a hell of a time voting. Election officials are going to have a hell of a time getting things set up for them to be able to vote. So those are big factors uh, on their own. And I hope to have more on what Florida is doing to try and carry out elections in just over 30 days at this point on an upcoming show. And I'm trying to learn you know, what officials exactly are planning to do, whether it can be pulled off or not. It's a real logistical nightmare. It is, although the state has had uh, uh, hurricanes during election season before. But. This was a particularly bad one. So uh, we will see much of how well it goes and how much they're able to pull things together may have to do with how DeSantis actually handles this mess. But for the moment, I think it's important to remind folks. Elections are about accountability as much as they are also about the future. And as Florida works to pick up the pieces, it's important that voters remember the positions of the politicians that got them to this point. No matter how you know, much they're smiling and out there saying, oh, we're, we're really going to help. We're really going to, to rebuild. We're not going to leave you to be, you know, these are politicians who ignored all of the warnings, who did not take action, who outright lied to the residents of Florida. And voters need to be reminded of that so that they can vote accordingly this year, if they're able to vote at all, given the disaster that so many of them are now facing there. The New York Times reported this week, 
As Hurricane Ian approached Florida's coast, the storm grew in intensity because it passed over ocean waters that was two to three degrees warmer than normal for this time of year, according to NASA data. Its destructive power was made worse by rising seas. The water off the southwest coast of Florida has risen more than seven inches since 1965, according to data from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA. And finally, warmer air resulting from climate change increased the amount of rain that Ian dropped on the state by at least 10 percent, according to a study released last week in the wake of Ian. Hurricane Ian, of course, is far from the first time that Florida has felt the impacts of climate change in Miami. The rising ocean means streets and sidewalks regularly flood during high tide, even on sunny days. In the Florida Keys, officials are looking at raising roadbeds that will soon otherwise become impassable. But none of the top Republicans in the state have supported legislation to curb the greenhouse gas emissions that are causing climate change and making these storms so much worse for their constituents. Hurricane Ian's wrath made clear that Florida faces some of the most severe consequences of climate change anywhere in the country, but the state's top elected leaders opposed the most significant climate legislation to pass Congress, laws to help fortify states against and recover from climate disasters just like this one, and to confront their underlying cause, the burning of fossil fuels. Will they be held accountable for that? Florida Senators Marco Rubio and Rick Scott voted against last year's bipartisan infrastructure law in the Senate, which devotes some $50 billion to help states better prepare for events just like Ian because they said it was wasteful. Really? Was it wasteful, guys? And in August, they joined every fellow Republican in the U.S. Senate and, by the way, the U.S. House to oppose a new climate law that invests some $369 billion in reducing greenhouse gas emissions, the largest such effort in the country's history. In the world's history, in fact. Every Republican voted against it. At the same time, Republican Governor Ron DeSantis has blocked the state's pension fund, which has billions of dollars, from taking climate change into account when making investment decisions with those billions of dollars, saying that politics should be absent from financial calculations. Well, is this politics? When it floods uh, in South Florida on sunny days, is that because of politics? In the aftermath of Ian, those leaders now want federal help to rebuild their state, but they don't want to discuss the underlying problem that is making hurricanes more powerful and destructive and, yes, more expensive. For the record, Moody's Analytics has estimated 45 to 55 billion dollars in damage in Florida and 7 to 10 billion dollars in lost output in the state following this one single storm alone. So, you know, we're pushing $60 billion that this may cost. CoreLogic, a property information analytics company, they estimate that both wind and flood losses combined will be between 28 and $47 billion. 
Verisk, a uh, a risk modeling firm, projected insured losses to be between 42 and 57 billion from the wind, the flood, and the storm surge in both Florida and South Carolina. However, you figure it, and whatever it turns out to be, we're talking about tens of billions of dollars. And not just for Florida's taxpayers, but also for the nation's, because we will all be footing a whole lot of that bill, as President Biden promised uh, when he visited Florida on Wednesday. But yet none of the top Republicans in the state have supported legislation that would curb the greenhouse gas emissions that are causing the climate crisis. That, as Florida's Democratic House Rep, Kathy Castor, who represents Tampa, observed, according to The Times, saying that with its sun and offshore wind, Florida could be a leader in renewable energy. Instead, they import natural gas that it that it burns to produce electricity. In the Sunshine State. Charlie Crist, who is challenging Ron DeSantis for re-election, said, quote, to not admit that climate change is real and we need to address it bodes nothing but harm for the future for Florida and the nation. And yet the state's leaders have long resisted what scientists say is needed to stave off a catastrophic future, an aggressive pivot away from gas, oil and coal and towards solar, wind and other renewable energies. In 2019, Rubio wrote that there is nothing that can be done about the climate crisis. He said, quote, none of those advocates talking about, you know, environmental advocates can point to how even the most aggressive and draconian plan would improve the lives of Floridians, unquote. Really, Marco? Would you like to ask the victims of Hurricane Ian that today? I have a feeling he doesn't. Rick Scott, the uh, former governor of Florida, he's now the state's junior senator. He's argued that the cost of attacking climate change is just too great. Really? Really, Rick Scott? Given that losses may be as high as $60 billion for Florida from this one storm alone, and you voted against billions that would have gone to your state in both the bipartisan infrastructure bill and the Democrats' $400 billion climate bill. Are you sure about that, that it's just too expensive? By the way, that money is still going to go to your state despite you voting against it. You're welcome. Last year's infrastructure bill, which both Rubio and Scott voted against, provided about $50 billion towards climate resilience, the country's largest single investment in measures designed to better protect people against the effects of climate change. It passed the Senate with support from 19 Republicans, so it wasn't like all of the Republicans were against this. Just most of them. And both of them uh, in the U.S. Senate from Florida. Both Rubio and Scott voted against it, even though, you know, 19 uh, Republicans had no problem. And even even though, by the way, Florida is one of the top places on the list of the eastern seaboard that will be most affected by rising sea levels. Of course. So this uh, measure included uh, provisions to help protect against hurricanes. It would have provided it will provide billions for seawalls, storm pumps, elevating homes, flood control, other projects, all of which Florida could really, really use. 
Many of those uh, measures were co-written by another coastal Republican, Senator Bill Cassidy of Louisiana. He had no problem supporting this bill. He called it a, quote, major victory for Louisiana and our nation. Senator Lisa Murkowski of of Alaska, also a Republican, she supported the bill, too. Both states face enormous threats from climate change, just like Florida. But the guys from Florida, they didn't support it. Rubio called it, quote, wasteful. Rick Scott said it was, quote, reckless spending. Really? So you guys don't want the money then that comes from both of those bills and goes to your state. Correct? Correct, Mr. Rubio. Correct, Mr. Scott. For some reason, I have the feeling they don't feel that way now. Will they be held accountable for it by voters? Other Republicans in the state, of course, share the same reckless positions of Scott and Rubio. Uh, Anna Paulina Luna, a Republican candidate expected to win the House district around Tampa Bay, which is really ground zero for one of the worst landfalls that could ever hit the state if there is a direct hit from a hurricane in Tampa Bay, as so many feared might happen with Ian. Well, she spoke of the devastation that she saw after Ian. She said, quote, the damage is so catastrophic, we are going to need help. She said that on Monday, but she pushed back hard on the need to address climate change by cutting fossil fuel emissions. She called it, quote, completely bonkers, unquote, that the U.S. would harm its own economy, quote, while while we send manufacturing to a country that is one of the top polluters of the world. She was referring to China. In case you're wondering, of course, much of the effort of both the bipartisan infrastructure bill and the more recent Democratic only uh, climate bill was to onshore production of renewable energy. Am I right about that? You're totally right about that. It's actually doing so even as we speak. There are major corporations that have announced major manufacturing facilities that they're now bringing to the United States right now, just since the Inflation Reduction Act was passed. The the bill... I mean, but she, you know what, she's she's basically um, assuming that none of the people that she is talking to of her base will care about about any of these facts we'll because, care or, or, or don't know oh, well, no, no yeah, right have no exactly idea. because really it it's not covered appropriately whether it's in right-wing media or in regular old commercial uh mainstream corporate True. media they really don't cover this these bills were built to uh, stop manufacturing from china and to start manufacturing here to onshore manufacturing for these renewable energy projects here in the u.s so Will uh, Luna, Anna Paulina Luna, will she face any price uh, for her actions on this, for her calling this completely bonkers? Will Marco Rubio? Will Rick Scott? Rubio has received almost a quarter of a million dollars from the oil and gas industry since 2017. Rick Scott has also received almost a quarter of a million dollars from oil and gas. The National Republican Senatorial Committee, which Rick Scott leads, has received some $3.2 million in oil and gas donations this campaign cycle alone. That according to the Center for Responsive Politics. Charlie Chris said there's an ideological versus reality divide here that must be very excruciating to these Republican politicians. But frankly... 
I don't know that it is, Charlie Crist, because these guys, at least up until now, they have not been held accountable for their reckless, reprehensible, dangerous, deadly positions. The death toll from Ian is now over 100. I haven't checked it lately. But uh, who who's going to pay a price above and beyond the citizens, the residents of Florida? Will the politicians pay any price? In fact, they have been rewarded for their terrible, dangerous, deadly, reckless positions, it seems to me. Carlos Curbelo, a uh, former Republican congressman from, uh, underscore that, a former Republican congressman from South Florida, said, quote, if you're from Florida, you should be leading on climate and environmental policy. But Republicans, he said, are still reticent to do that because they're worried about primary politics. But on this, the consequences are so serious, he says, it's worth putting politics aside and addressing climate head on. Well, why start now? Will they start now? Governor DeSantis's record on uh, climate decisions may also come back to haunt him, according to The New York Times, as a congressman in 2013. He voted against a bill to provide extra disaster aid to victims of Hurricane Sandy, the very same type of extra support that Florida is now seeking for Hurricane Ian. Last Friday, Rubio and Scott wrote to their Senate colleagues asking them to support a package of disaster aid. But like DeSantis, Rubio opposed a similar measure after Hurricane Sandy struck the Northeast in 2012. Scott, for his part, wasn't yet in Congress, and Marco Rubio has been running around saying, oh, no, I never voted against hurricane aid. Yeah, you did. Uh, Florida will continue to be on the front lines of more destructive hurricanes fueled by a warming climate. climate. Said Yoka Arditi Roca, the executive director of the Clio Institute, a nonprofit group in Florida that promotes climate change education, advocacy and resilience, adding, quote, we need Republican leaders to step up. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. But we also need voters to step up. Voters to step up and to hold those leaders accountable, those Republican leaders accountable for not stepping up, for not stepping up for years. Whether the voters will be able to vote at all at this point in Florida is an open question. If they can vote, will they know who should be held accountable for voting against them and their best self-interest? I don't know. That's an open question at this point. There's a lot of open questions. Uh, you know, these are these are officials who should have taken action long before their constituents faced unspeakable disasters, which are only going to get still worse in the years ahead. Even as guys like Ron DeSantis, just it was just weeks ago he put in this uh, a provision that billions of dollars in the state's pension fund uh, held on behalf of teachers and firefighters and other government workers cannot be when we're looking to invest those billions of dollars. We cannot look at the companies and whether they can survive climate change, whether they can survive storms like what we are now seeing, whether they're resilient enough 
to avoid going out of business, to be knocked out of business because of climate change, to be knocked out of business because suddenly people realize, you know what? Oil and gas is killing us. But no, uh, we need to keep investing in those companies, according to Ron DeSantis, because otherwise it would be just political. It's madness. But that's what democracy is about. Democracy is about facing madness and holding people accountable for that madness. They can only hold them accountable if they know about that madness. Hopefully we have shared some of it. Hopefully you will help share some of it with people you know. Hopefully those in Florida will somehow get these messages and act on it if they can vote this year. And boy, I sure as hell hope that they can and that they do. All right, let's take a quick break here, and we will come back with a little bit more on election 2022. And uh, as you may have heard, because the media really loves this uh, story for some reason, <laughs> some breaking news on Thursday that, yeah, Joe Biden is really going to pot after all. Uh, by the way, that could also be election 2022 news. I think it is. All of that and Desi's GNR is all still ahead on today's broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to counter the powerful corporate media echo chamber. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. In a strongly to my soul Start with just like Jelly Roll In a stone yeah, we'll get to that story. You just can't wait to get to that story, Desi Doyen, you stoner. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, we, we were talking over the break. Uh, oh, before, I, I actually got a number of items to get to. That is one of them. But we were talking over the break about the Florida uh, business. You made a good uh, point about uh, socialism and how Republicans... Well, yes. Um, well, I said that, you know, you put it. basically we're going to find out now that Republicans have now decided that they need a lot more socialism when it comes to mm -hmm. other people paying for the damage in Florida, mm -hmm. which we're all happy to pay for because that's what we're supposed to do. But they're the ones that have turned it into a political thing. And now they've decided they need some more socialism. Yeah. And all of us are going to have to pay for that. And yet they won't use those words for some reason nope. while they're still out running around calling people like uh, you and me Marxists and communists and socialists. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Well, I, listen, I keep reminding you when it comes to the uh, upcoming elections to ignore stuff like polling and so-called expert predictions and forecasts around the November midterms. There's been a lot of talk of late about pre-election polls getting tighter, particularly in the Senate races. And all of that may be true. But at the same time, a number of House Generic House polls came out over the past 24 hours showing Democrats actually increasing their odds of winning in the lower chamber on the so-called generic ballot. You know, asking voters if they will vote for an unnamed Republican or or if they prefer a Democrat this year or if they prefer that, you know, Democrats or Republicans control the majority in the House in um 
most of uh, those polls, the numbers are actually getting better for Democrats, despite what you may have heard in our uh, corporate media. Also, the Cook Political Report on Wednesday adjusted 10 of its own House ratings, moving seven of those 10 races to increase the chances for the Democratic candidate to win. But again, ignore all that. Now that I told you about it, forget (laughs) about it. Other than to understand that this election could be really close either way. Anyone who tells you they know how this is going to play out is lying to you. They're making stuff up. And understand uh, that there may be things that you know, neither polling nor history can actually tell us about what is going on right now, as these are decidedly, as I've told you, decidedly unconventional times for a whole bunch of reasons that you may have noticed and due to a whole bunch of factors. Among them, of course, one of the biggest factors that could affect this year's elections in the is the uh, uh, Supreme Court's ruling in the Dobbs case that overturned Roe v. Wade in early summer. That, of course, is the big one that has shaken or certainly should uh, virtually all expectations about the 2022 elections. And as we've reported on this show with Target Smart's Tom Bonier, uh, the Dobbs decision has had an unprecedented effect on a whole bunch of stuff already, including the number of women registering to vote in droves in so-called red and blue states alike, driving a gender gap in new registrations, which uh, Bonnier told us just does not happen in elections, a gender gap with, uh, you know, with women leading a huge gap like he has never seen before, or at least he's never been able to find a historical precedent for in modern times. Well, uh, Tom Bonnier had a new thread on this matter on Twitter on Wednesday, tweeting, in case you're still not convinced that the Dobbs decision has completely changed the landscape in this election, consider Idaho. Idaho, he says. To get a sense of how Dobbs is impacting people in Idaho, Tom links to an opinion piece at The Guardian detailing how abortion has been criminalized and University of Idaho faculty face wide prohibitions around interactions regarding abortions and contraception, where, uh, as the headline of that piece by Moira Donegan notes, uh, quote, in Idaho, we're seeing how freedom of speech is being curtailed around abortion with women's options and speech being dramatically constrained by misogynist laws that have sprung into effect since the reversal of Roe v. Wade. So, Bonnier asks, uh, how is this reflected in an electoral sense in one of the reddest states in America? Women, especially younger women, are registering to vote, he says, at an incredibly higher rate since Dobbs. Now, as I noted, he's joined us on the show a couple of times in recent months to discuss how we have just seen a jaw-dropping spike in voter registrations, particularly for women, particularly for Democratic women, and particularly for young Democratic women. Well, uh, Bonnier's new data finds the same thing is uh, holding true even in states like Idaho, one of the most Republican-leaning states in the nation. He says voters under the age of 25 went from 12% of new registrants in Ohio and in, in Idaho 
before before Dobbs to 19 percent percent since. So uh, voters under 25 were 12 percent of new registrations before the Dobbs decision. Now they are 19 percent. That's a spike of about 7 percent, which is noteworthy on its own. But Bonniers notes that is not the remarkable part. He says before Dobbs, among those under 25, men accounted for a two point greater share of new registrations than did women before Dobbs. Since the Dobbs decision overturning Roe v. Wade, women outnumber men by, wait for it, 20 points. Oh, wow. 20 points. Among all new registrants in Idaho, he says the uh, the gender gap has grown to 11 points since Dobbs. That's among all new registrants, not just those younger than 25. Placing Idaho now in the top five states in the country when ranked by post-Dobbs gender gaps. This, he says, is having a partisan impact, of course. A somewhat shocking 70% of women registering to vote in Idaho pre-Dobbs were Republicans. Since Dobbs, that number has been cut almost in half to 43%. Idaho provides a window into what Republicans will do anywhere in America, he says, given the opportunity, but it's also a demonstration of what women will do to stop them. That's Idaho. As we discussed the last time we had him on the show, I think it was last week or so, it's, it's unclear that any of this... These numbers of of women and Democrats, Democratic women uh, registering to vote, this spike, if if any of that is actually being reflected in the pre-election polling. He told me that major pollsters tend to create their models uh, based on the previous election and they don't like to go out on a limb when it comes to shaking up their polling models you know, based on how many men or women or young voters or Democrats versus Republicans, et cetera, that may turn out when they uh, put these polls together. So yeah, they, they basically base it on who voted the last yeah. time. So that doesn't tell them who's going to vote this time. It's just their best guess. They're fighting the last war, essentially. Yes. And the last war, by the way, took place before the Dobbs decision. Right. So what could happen here? Are women, in fact, being undercounted in all of the polling that we are seeing? I don't know. Nobody does. But but that's why I tell you, ignore all of the pollsters and the so-called conventional wisdom in these decidedly unconventional times. And please just make sure that you are registered to vote and that you vote yourself and that everyone you know is registered to vote and that they vote as well. Yeah, you can be a, a vote helper, a vote Sherpa. You can help all the people in your circle understand what they need to do to register, to get out there, to get their vote counted and not to be uh, caught in any of the ways that a lot of Republicans will try to prevent you from voting. I like that whole vote Sherpa thing. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Well, I'm glad you like it. Yeah, I just I, made I, it up. I like that. Yeah, nice, nicely done. Um, there's also, by the way, I just got a, a text message uh, hour within the last hour or so that my ballot from California, uh, from Los Angeles County, is coming to me by mail because they send uh, mail ballots now to everyone. Because I don't ba- have to California vote. likes people to vote. Yes, they do. And I don't have to uh, use that mail-in ballot. I can go into the polls if I prefer to vote in early voting or on Election Day. But it's on. It is on. And early voting is now happening all around the country. So, uh... 
Don't delay. Yeah, your vote really matters. Otherwise, Republicans wouldn't work so hard to stop you from voting. Finally, one more story here before we get to Desi's latest Green News report. And yes, it's another story that could also, yes, very much shake up the midterm elections. In just over four weeks, President Joe Biden is pardoning thousands of Americans convicted of, quote, simple possession of marijuana under federal law as his administration takes a dramatic step toward decriminalizing the drug and addressing charging practices that disproportionately impact people of color. And not a moment too soon. As a matter of fact, I would say not a decade too soon. Yeah. Biden's move also covers thousands uh, convicted of the crime in the District of Columbia. He is also calling on governors around the nation to issue similar pardons for those convicted of state marijuana offenses which reflect the vast majority of marijuana possession cases. So another campaign promise, I think, uh, kept by Joe Biden and one that, you know, for those of us who live in California, where at this rate there is literally, uh, well, I guess figuratively, but pretty close to literally a pot <laughs> store. Not really. A pot store on virtually every corner. Years ago, when it was only medical marijuana, there were already more pot stores in Los Angeles than Starbucks. Now, anyone, is it over 21, over 18? Do you remember? Uh, I, don't, I think uh, it's 21. 21. It's in line with uh, the restrictions on alcohol. You can, and yeah. I should note that the Los Angeles City Council stepped in and they did a lot of restricting of those, that, that explosion of stores. Yeah, so well, not just much. to make it clear that there <laughs> is oversight and regulation. But my point is not much. There really is you, uh, just uh, virtually every corner where you can walk into a pot store and buy it over the counter. And no, the world hasn't ended. I mean, it's difficult to remember that so many are still paying such a high price for at one point over these past many decades being charged, you know, with a violation of law and spending time in jail for, yes, simple possession of pot that could be purchased over the counter in states like California, where the world has not come crashing down on us. Everything is just fine. Not only that, but California now rakes in, I think, something but like $8 billion in tax revenue from the legal cannabis market. There's that, too. The White House released the, this statement from the president making his announcement on Thursday. As I said when I ran for president, no one should be in jail just for using or possessing marijuana. It's already legal in many states, and criminal records for marijuana possession have led to needless barriers to employment, to housing, to educational opportunities. And that's before you address the racial disparities around who suffers the consequences. While white and black and brown people use marijuana at similar rates, Black and brown people are arrested, prosecuted, and convicted at disproportionately higher rates. So today, I'm taking three steps to end this failed approach. First, I'm announcing a pardon for all prior federal, offense, federal offenses for the simple possession of marijuana. There are thousands of people who are convicted for marijuana possession who may be denied employment, housing, or educational opportunities as a result of that conviction. My pardon will remove this burden on them. Second, I'm calling on all governors to do the same for state marijuana possession offenses. Third, the federal government currently classifies marijuana as a Schedule I substance, the same as heroin and LSD, and more serious than fentanyl. It makes no sense. So I'm asking the Secretary of Health and Human Services and the Attorney General to initiate a process to review how marijuana is scheduled under federal law. Even as federal and local regulations of marijuana change, important limitations on trafficking, 
marketing and underage sales should stay in place. Too many lives have been upended because of our failed approach to marijuana. It's time that we right these wrongs. Joe Biden's statement from the White House on Thursday announcing um, pardons for thousands of people charged with possession of marijuana under federal laws and calling for the decriminalization and the rescheduling of how marijuana is uh, currently scheduled under federal law. The pardon does not cover convictions for possession of, dr- of, of other drugs or for charges related to producing or possessing marijuana with an intent to distribute. He is also not pardoning non-citizens who are in the U.S. without legal status at the time of their arrest. As, uh, as he mentioned, he's also directing the Secretary of Health and Human Services and the U.S. Attorney General to review how marijuana is scheduled under federal law. Rescheduling the drug would reduce or potentially eliminate criminal penalties for possession. Marijuana is currently classified as noted as a Schedule One drug right there along with heroin and LSD and even worse than fentanyl and meth. Seriously. Advocacy groups praised Biden's announcement. The executive director of the Drug Policy Alliance said uh, that uh, she was thrilled. Cassandra Frederick said this is incredibly long overdue. There is no reason that people should be saddled with a criminal record preventing them from obtaining employment, housing, countless other opportunities for something that's already legal in 19 states and D.C. and decriminalized in 31 states. Reverend Al Al Sharpton, the president of the National Action Network, said Biden's, quote, righteous action today will give countless Americans their lives back. But he added the U.S. will never justly legalize marijuana until it reckons with the outdated policies that equated thousands of young black men with hardened drug pushers. The move also fulfills one of the top priorities of the Democratic nominee, In one of the party's most critical Senate races in Pennsylvania, that would be Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman. He has repeatedly pressed Biden to take this step. Uh, Fetterman, in a statement, took credit for elevating the issue on Biden's agenda and praised the decision, calling it, quote, a massive step toward justice. Quote, this action from President Biden is exactly what this work should be about, improving people's lives. He said, I commend the president for taking this significant, necessary and just step to right a wrong and better the lives of millions of Americans. That was uh, U.S. Senate Democratic U.S. Senate candidate from Pennsylvania, John Fetterman. His opponent, Dr. Mehmet Oz, has criticized Fetterman for his position on this. Hopefully voters in Pennsylvania will keep that in mind on Election Day just about four weeks from today. GNR is next. I'm Brad, and this is the Bradcast. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Well, another slow day in your Green News report, Desi Doyen. 
Oh, if only. Yeah, if only. Uh, whether it's slow or not, we, I'm late getting to it. So yes. let's get to it. Our latest Green News report. The move will drive prices back up after oil fell below $90 a barrel last week. OPEC and Russia raising oil prices again. Brazil's presidential election could determine the fate of the Amazon rainforest. Plus... Today we have one job, and only one job. And that's to make sure the people of Florida get everything that they need to fully, thoroughly recover. Biden pledges America will help Florida rebuild after Hurricane Ian. All of those pledges and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. And I think the one thing this has finally ended is a discussion about whether or not there's climate change and we should do something about it. Do you really think so, Mr. President? Really? This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, for some reason, I don't think this is actually going to end the pretend debate about whether climate change is real or not, but I'm glad that President Biden feels that way. (laughs) Yes. He's always so optimistic. What do you have for us today? Well, first, OPEC Plus, the cartel of oil-producing countries led by Saudi Arabia that includes Russia, announced that it has voted to aggressively slash production by 2 million barrels a day to increase global oil prices. Energy analysts see the showy announcement as a geopolitical maneuver to tighten oil supplies heading into winter, which helps Russia after it had already weaponized natural gas exports to erode Europe's support of Ukraine in Russia's ongoing war there. The move will also help Russia fund its war machine by neutralizing the impact of a vote by European countries on Wednesday to impose a price cap on Russian oil after Russia illegally annexed four regions in Ukraine. Plus, high fossil energy prices are a convenient political cudgel against the Biden administration ahead of next month's critical midterm elections that will decide control of Congress. Ding, ding, ding. Saudi Arabia knows that Republican control of Congress will slow down America's transition away from Saudi gas and oil. In Brazil, far-right President Jair Bolsonaro is headed to a runoff in a presidential race against the nation's former leftist president, known to the people simply as Lula. It matters for the world because of the impact on the Amazon rainforest, which absorbs a significant chunk of humanity's carbon emissions. A new analysis by Carbon Brief warns that if Bolsonaro wins, record rates of deforestation of the Amazon will continue. However, a Lula win could reduce Amazon on deforestation by as much as 80 to 90 percent. Which is good for the entire planet. Here in the U.S., President Biden was in Florida on Wednesday to support recovery efforts after the catastrophic widespread damage caused by Hurricane Ian. He and Florida's Republican Governor Ron DeSantis struck a note of cooperation and teamwork. Biden pledged federal assistance for, quote, as long as it takes. Although DeSantis doesn't outright deny climate change, he has denigrated climate policies to cut emissions. With DeSantis standing awkwardly behind him, Biden kicked off with this. The reservoirs out west are, are, are down to almost zero. We're in a situation where the Colorado River looks more like a stream. There's a lot going on. 
And I think the one thing this has finally ended is a discussion about whether or not there's climate change and we should do something about it. Yeah, I don't think it's ended that discussion. And by the way, is it legal to say the words climate change in Florida? In other news, intense drought in the Midwest has dwindled water levels on the lower Mississippi River to near record lows. A number of barges have run aground, creating a log jam, bringing a halt to deliveries of grain, fertilizer, metals, and petroleum, just as happened on rivers in Europe earlier this year. Climate scientists say that man-made climate change has increased the chances of drought by 20-fold in the northern hemisphere in China, the U.S., and Europe. But some good news. The European Union struck a blow against the exponential growth of electronic waste, approving a measure to require electronic device manufacturers to stick to a single standard for chargers. So yes, Europe effectively told Apple and other manufacturers to knock it off, with forcing consumers to constantly buy and discard incompatible chargers to reduce the costly burden of toxic electronic waste on communities. Which, by the way, means that we're all going to have to buy new chargers that meet the new standards. Well, the EU's new e-waste law is set to force Apple to switch to USB-C by 2024. I know. So we're going to have to buy new chargers to meet those standards. And finally, New York Governor Kathy Hochul announced that her state is following California's lead in phasing out polluting internal combustion engine cars. New York will ban the sale of new gasoline and diesel cars by 2035, although auto industry analysts see some signs that the inflection point for electric cars versus gas cars may come much, much sooner. Very, very cool. And thank you for copying us, New York. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Hey, we've got to ease on down the road towards our uh, latest COVID vax boosters, booster shots. Uh, so Nicole will be in for us on the next broadcast. Until then, my thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program or want to hear it again or share it wide, far and wide, please feel free to stop by bradblog.com. While you're there, please consider hitting one of those donate buttons or just go straight to bradblog.com slash donate to help us stay on your public airwaves and continue saying the things that we can say because we don't have to rely on any corporate sponsors who tell us what to say or what not to say. Thank you in advance. Drop me an email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com, and I am on the Facebooks and the Twitters, where you will find me at the Brad Blog. Wish me luck. Until we meet again, <laughs> I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. I'm just